Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, we're speaking with both a contest winner and a top professional in the field. Uh, Scott Knoll was a winner back in 1990 in volume six. Uh, he's always written science fiction and fantasy fiction. From the moment he learned to scribble in cursive, he began to split his time between playing with toys and writing tales of their plastic adventures. In time, he went on to earn a degree in English and to make his living via the keyboard. Scott has had stories published in Pandora, Strategy Plus, and Tomorrow Magazine, and his short story, Riches Like Dust, was selected for the Writers of the Future Anthology, Volume 6, 1990, becoming the springboard for a career in computer game development as writer, project manager, and voice director for several award-winning games. He is now publisher and editor-in-chief for Dreamforge Magazine. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me, John. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, and I'm very excited, too, because when we first reconnected, it was via social media. I saw a, um, the announcement of Dreamforge Magazine, and I looked at who is this guy, and then I went back, because you sounded familiar, and then I looked you up and I found out that you were a winner, like uh, read in the intro there in Volume 6, and I went, Wow. And then I looked at your bio, and there you were. You're talking about your win back then in 1990, and and how you've gone on with your career. So, um, how did you get how did you get started with writing, and and when did science fiction first enter in? Well, uh, the bio is pretty accurate in the fact that that I've always just told stories to myself, just to to put myself to sleep when I was a kid. I just loved to you know when I was playing with my toys, I was actually making up adventures for them, and. Uh, that just evolved as I grew. What really hit me hard was when I was nine years old, that's when Star Trek premiered. And that's really when science fiction came into it. Uh, pretty much for me, the way Star Wars affected you know, people a generation or so later. By the time I got into high school then, the thing that really set it off was that I took a typing class. Not a writing class, but a typing class. And the, the, it fascinated me that I could hit keys and actually put words on paper where before, you know, I was, I was just, you know, trying to, to write them on paper with a pen. But um, so, so I just fell in love with, with uh, writing through learning how to type, even though I did very poorly in that course. And, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah, that, this, this was a Catholic school, and the nun, nuns hated me. But, <laughs> but um, I really taught myself writing and typing um, outside of outside of class, and I really got pretty good at it after a while. But, but that just led me to, to really fall in love with with writing and that, that that was the same time I started to pick up books and some of the first books I picked up were science fiction books the, the first book I actually bought that wasn't a comic book was um Rocketship Galileo by Robert Heinlein so that's when when science fiction like that and like Star Trek started to you know uh, come into my life and I went on to college and and took a little bit of a literary turn I uh, graduated with a degree in English literature. So, so Moby Dick is one of my favorite works. And my annual fall bedtime reading here uh, is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's Evangeline. So, so I just go over that whole spectrum. I, I just, I just love writing and stories, and and I still tell myself stories in my head to fall asleep at night. Wow. Um, when we set this interview, I said we we had a list of questions I wanted to go over, but unless something else came up that was uh, seemed to be way cool. So this whole thing now of, of you and, and computer programming and science fiction, how did program, because 
when you did your win with your win in, in Riders of the Future, you then moved on and you said you started getting into computer programming and and game well, computer, and game and gaming computer, or was it gaming? Yeah, not computer not computer programming as much as computer gaming, and a little different. I'll explain that. But uh, yes, when I had the Writers of the Future win, um, that was I could say that's a turning point in in my life because. One of the things that happened there was that uh, you guys helped the writers with publicity in their hometowns and, and that sort of thing. And there was about that time in 1990, there was a local computer gaming company that was starting up, you know, just within a few miles of me. And they saw that publicity and they needed a writer. So they came calling. I was, I was actually working in public transportation at the time. And uh, they said, you know, we need someone to write. And, uh, well, write what? Because computer games were new to everybody at that point. But they were talking about the dialogue for the characters and, and the, the narrative of the story. And at that time, we actually put uh, novellas and that sort of thing in the game with the game. You know, everything to the manual itself on how you install the game. So they said, well, we need a writer. So, so I left my job and said, this sounds really cool because I always love, you know, uh, new technology and computers anyway. Yeah. So I went to uh, work for them and they were called Dreamforge Entertainment. So you kind of now get a sense of where the name Dreamforge came from for the magazine. Wow. But I went to work for Dreamforge Entertainment and was there for um, at least uh, seven or eight years. And uh, that's when computer games were first starting up. They were PC games. They weren't console games. And, and we started, you know, in DOS. And so my job started out being the writing, but one of the things I'd advise anybody who's, who's, you know, at that young point in their life where they're looking for a career, if you can find a company that's just starting up, that's really where you get the most opportunity um, to, to grow in different directions and take on different challenges. So, so while I was doing that writing, then it came down to, hey, well, now we're going to have voice actors do these voices that are in the game. You wrote it. You want to go direct those people? And it's like, sure. <laughs> and... Um, so then I'm directing the people and then they're saying, oh, well, you did a really good job directing those people. What, you know, what did you, did you have management skills or something? It's like, yeah, well, that's what I've been doing ever since before you hired me. I was a, I was a manager of things. So they said, well, great. You're going to be an associate producer. You can help make these games. And it's like, sure, I'll do that. And then did that for like a couple of years. Well, and it's like, well, now how about you be a project manager? It's just like, take the project and run with it. It's just like, we'll start at the beginning. You pick your team and just, just make this project. So um, that's the kind of you know growth you can have when you are lucky enough to get in on the, the ground floor of something. That's awesome. That's and um, it, it not only was a career thing, but also Dreamforge Entertainment is where I met my wife, Jane. And um, she was working her way up along that line through being a line artist and then she was a um, an art director and then she ended up being project manager and uh, so we met there and fell in love and, and got married while we were still working there and we worked together um, and our teams we made like cult classics that you can even find or hear about today like Anvil of Dawn and there's one called Sanitarium that was even mentioned in one of Stephen Kim King's books um, D and D titles. We did a lot of those, like Menzo Berenson and Ravenloft, and and uh, my wife Jane worked on the first 101 Dalmatians game for Disney. So it it was a really um, really adventurous time. We were just, you know, it was when we were creating the industry, not just the games we were working on. And uh, science fiction came back into that as well because um, one of the games that my wife and I both got to work on together was. Um, uh, Roger Zelazny, he designed a game called Chronomaster. 
And I know at one time he was he was one of the judges uh, for Writers of the Future. In fact, he was one of the judges when I submitted my story in 1990. But yeah, it was it was then a great thrill to um, to get to talk to him and and work on the game with him. And um, at, at that time, he was with uh, another author, Jane Linskold. And um, he, unfortunately, while he was working on our game was when he, he uh, passed away. He died of cancer. And um, Jane uh, had to pick up for him and, and finish. She had to finish all the dialogue and she had to finish the novelization of the game. And, and so that kind of made her close with, uh, with us. And we've been friends ever since. And she's, she's become our senior advisor on Dreamforge magazine. So that's where some of our publishing and writing expertise came from. Making games is, is really a, an all-absorbing 16-hour-a-day stress test, and it really doesn't leave any time for anything else really much in terms of writing other things or doing other things in your life. So so after about a decade or so, that's that's when my wife Jane decided to leave first, and I was very supportive. I said, yes, you can go start your own company. Just don't lose too much money, dear. And, <laughs> um, and she actually started the current business we have, which is now 21 years old. So I guess she's done a pretty good job. And and I um, I joined her about a year later, and uh, we've been doing that ever since. And and we moved again, you know, just kind of a lateral step into technology. But uh, believe it or not, there weren't there wasn't always the thing as the website as internet with websites on it. And uh, we managed to move away from games and get into the the beginning of making websites for businesses. And uh, that's what our company is. It's called Chroma Studios. And we do websites, digital marketing, and we make business software and and uh, and stuff like that. And we've been doing that for, for a long time now. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how it went from Raiders of the Future into gaming and into us, you know, owning our own business. But but definitely, I would say without, you know, Raiders of the Future, I, I would never have gotten into computer games and probably would never have met my wife. So it's pretty cool. That's way cool. All right. So you've already, we've already discussed, like, what happened after your winning with Raiders of the Future. Now, how'd you end up starting Dreamforge? Because that's different than creating websites. So, how did Dreamforge? Um... Well, this was there was a time that about in 2017, our business uh, had had reached its height, and and it looked like Jane and I were going to have a little more time for personal projects, and and that was also a time when, um, for those of uh, you who know the the series Black Mirror, um, there was an episode of Black Mirror called Metalhead, which which is a breathtaking accomplishment in showing a robotic apocalypse. There are these little robot dogs that basically are killing the entire human race. And it, it's a wonderful accomplishment in black and white. It's, it's cinema, cinematography is amazing. The story and acting is amazing. And I just was at the end of it, loving it for its art and saying, that's not what's gonna happen to humanity. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, I remember when science fiction was fun and engaging adventures and um, even if there was an apocalypse, our species come out the other side and, and life goes on. And, and so there was just this bit of a reaction in me. It's like, I want to do something that says no, that not that. And um, so Dreamforge came out of just the fact that my wife and I like to do projects together. We, we like to do things and creative things. And she's got the art side of things handled. She does our, our layout and, and, you know, she knows that whole graphic arts thing of how to make a magazine look nice. And I knew what I wanted it to, to be and what kind of stories that I wanted. So um, we just decided to do that as kind of an adventure here at, at this point in our, our lives. And we wanted to 
use the magazine to stress that idea of like the human adventure is just beginning like that that kind of theme and humans can overcome any obstacle mentality and obviously we named it dreamforge after the old computer game that, that we used to work for but um you know after after 20 some years that that company had faded away and i just found i could i could use the name and nobody cared so that's that's where that all came from that's great it's interesting you mentioned that that concept which is I think somewhat shades of the old uh, Pulp Fiction, because this is when Aaron Hubbard wrote Battlefield Earth, it's basically dystopian as an opener because it's Earth is wiped out from the Voyager being picked up by an alien probe, and then they send drones and they wipe out humanity. So it starts in the year 3000. But he said, ultimately, it's a story of the human spirit and how no matter how much opposition it has, the human spirit will ultimately survive and overcome whatever obstacle. And when you say talking like that, that's definitely a lot, at least the type of science fiction that Hubbard and Heinlein and that group like to write about. They, you know, definitely there was a lot of challenge to the survival of humanity, but ultimately humanity did in the end survive. Yeah, I, I actually, it's funny you mentioned Battlefield Earth, but that's that's probably what got me connected with Writers of the Future, because I still have my um, paperback copy of that, and I remember seeing it on the shelves at a bookstore, it was this huge paperback, and yeah. I probably I probably bought it thinking, well, that I'll get my money's worth out of that, and, um, you know, and, and I don't know if, if that was the one, but I remember Writers of the Future coming on a card that was inside a book, and it might have been inside Battlefield Earth, right? Where I picked that up and said, "Well, that looks fun," and I'll just I'll see if I can write some things for them. And and I know I, I sent in at least two, or maybe the third story was the one that that won. So so that's that Battlefield Earth is kind of what also set me on this uh, adventure. Wow! So Battlefield Earth is what introduced you to your wife. Wow. <laughs> 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 you connect the dots. If you connect the dots, you know, yes, and a big eraser in between all the other. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now, one thing that I was interested in talking about—I know that you've got some transition happening in the new year because of what's happened in 2020, which has happened to a lot of things, which is downsizing or restructuring because of of just the, the current scene. But what you're doing with Dreamforge is so important that I really want to talk about it and let other people know about it. One, as something that they should read and subscribe to as, as a publication, but two, for aspiring writers as something that they can then hopefully aspire to possibly getting published in someday. So talk a little bit about like, you know, what your objective is with Dreamforge and how somebody can get connected with it. Sure. We've had we've had had a lovely run in, in producing these gorgeously illustrated full color issues, uh, but we've been hit with COVID just like like everybody else has in terms of um, you know everybody's concern. You know subscriptions are are you know uh, going down this year because of COVID. We've had the challenges at work, um, you know our regular day job, that sort of thing. So we look ahead to next year and we don't want to give up on our dream, but we realize we have to scale back a little bit to to be able to make it work. And one of the things that we've loved most about uh, working with Dreamforge is actually meeting people that we work with. And, you know, even if we haven't met them in person, just just being able to work with them and meet them on, you know, Skype and that sort of thing. And our writers and, and our first line readers who read for us and our illustrators. 
And one of the things we really loved is, is working with the writers to try to help them make their stories better. So when we looked ahead and we said, gosh, we're probably not going to be able to afford to do things as lushly as we did, you know, this year, next year. What can we do that, that still engages us, you know, spiritually and mentally and, and um, uh, keeps Dreamforge moving on? So, so we're um, going to cut back on the printing, but we're going to uh, push the online stuff a little more. So it's where, where we've been publishing about quarterly, um, we're going to try to publish some stories like more monthly um, on Dreamforge online next year. And what we're going to do is we're going to be working with the writers. So I'm actually going to buy us buy stories from from people and um, work with them to kind of polish and improve them, and then basically show how that process that we've gone through in working with the writers. Uh, we have a couple that we're testing this all out. So we have a couple that we're working with now. Uh, one of whom actually, um, Anna Madden has has published her first story with us in Dreamforge, and she's she's published since then. And the story that we're working on with her was actually a silver honorable mention for writers of the future. And we're looking at it and, and saying, okay, well, you know, what are, what are the issues here? You know, where does this lose attention? How can we engage the reader more? How can we intensify the, the relationships between these wonderful characters? And how can we make this character mean more? And, and um, what I want to do with Dreamforge, uh, which we're going to call it Dreamforge Anvil, actually, is I want to let writers come in and see that process and basically say, well, here's the original story. Here's kind of what the editor was seeing in terms of some of the problems. Here's what the author came up with. And, and also let them engage in telling us whether or not we got it right. Because I think sometimes writers get that feeling that, you know, the editor's sitting on the top of the hill and he's on the throne kind of thing. He's just making this decision. This one is perf a perfect story. And it's really not like that. It's it's much more of a, a conversation back and forth. Even when we're reviewing stories with our first line readers, we don't always agree what the best story is, um, and we'll have you know arguments about that. So so stories are alive. They're they're a living thing, and and you know people have different opinions on them, and and the editor just does the best job he can finally to to select the things that he thinks will work. And I just want to get some of that kind of process and stuff across to. To people who are who are still uh, you know who are, who are trying to get published and and want to read how the, all that works. Okay, that makes sense. And so now with with someone trying to first of all subscribe, which is what the first thing I recommend anybody do is to subscribe to to read because it is a beautiful mag magazine that you've put together. I mean, I've been subscribing since the beginning, but how does somebody go about subscribing either to the print and or the online? Well, just go to dreamforgemagazine.com and we'll uh, keep everybody informed as to exactly what's available and exactly how to go about it. But I will always have, you know, a subscription button on, on the homepage of the website um, at dreamforgemagazine.com. And uh, that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, have pages, you know, like this new concept that I'm talking about, we'll have a page that walks you through it and explains how it works and how to subscribe to it. Right. So now with... Um Someone who wants to submit, how do they go about submitting if, you know, what's, what's your submission process for Stort? Sure. Same, same idea. We'll have, that, we'll have that all noted on the website. We actually have a page for submissions and, and that sort of thing. But um, our submission process is an electronic one. So it's taking your manuscript and it's uploading it into our system. 
And what happens then is we've recruited first-line readers from around the world that basically help me review the stories and they provide comments. And uh, then we discuss things and we decide, you know, which ones are going to, to be good for the next issue, you know, that, that sort of thing. You know, so, so um, that's basically all you do is, is uh, go to the website and, and look for that. Now, we don't have an op- – we basically have open period. We're not always open for submissions. Yeah. So one of the things you're going to do when you go to the website is look and see if we're, we're open at that, that particular time. I'm tracking. So now you made a comment about the types of stories – that you like. So let's talk about that a bit because I'm, I'm in total agreement with you on that. With the writers of the future, uh, our, our stories we, we go for that they're appropriate for middle school on up. So it's automatically, there's not a whole lot of, of um, slash and gash, you know, just uh, the gore. And profanity is kept to a high filter and we try to make it. It doesn't always. I mean, it's not less a prerequisite, but they tend to go in the direction of, you know, where it has some type of a, of a good ending or, uh, some type of a moral or some type of uh, the guy that learns better. There's something that comes out of it. it just doesn't end like all of a sudden. What happened? You know, where it's, um, it's not horror where the ending is by very nature, bad. Yes, that's that's. That's a pretty good description of the kind of things that, that we're looking for. Our reading level is, is like young adult and above. Uh, we want it to be accessible, you know, on that YA level. And then we, you know, if, if there's more thought behind it and, and different levels to it, that's, that's great as well. But we are looking for that idea of how humans are going to be um, not just survive in the future, like, oh, tomorrow's the apocalypse and we'll manage to have three people survive. But basically, how people look at problems and overcome those problems for for a better tomorrow. So we have a range of stories that that um, you know will will give some idea of of how that kind of thing goes. Like I'll just a couple I can remember offhand, but we have um, one that is called Wrath of a Lightweight by Emily Ma that is about teenagers on Mars, and the idea is that. The first settlement on Mars, the doctors have basically decided that, you know, the kids are being adversely affected by the low gravity and all that. And then edict comes down that the, the teenagers, they all have to come home. They all have to be sent back to Earth. But they don't want to. They've, they've basically uh, adopted Mars as, as essentially their home. It's, that's where their families are. That's where their futures are. So it's about the kids taking charge of their lives and finding ways to communicate to the adults that, you know, this is this is our future, and you're wrong about what you're trying to do. And uh, the fact that the kids go to, go together as a group, as a community, and try to solve their own problem, that's the kind of thing that makes it a Dreamforge story. Uh, we've had uh, a story about um, a place and time in the future where the, the main character is just trying to find their, their profession. It's like, what is it that they want to do? And you know, they, they end up essentially uh, becoming a mathematician. You know, there's there's that story about just, you know, the future is going to be fine, but people are still going to have trouble finding their own vocations. And um, those those kinds of things are Dreamforce stories. We, we do occasionally start with an apocalypse or, or a very dire situation, but we always want our characters to see the light at the end of the tunnel or find a way working either, you know, as a community or together to, to get past that. Yeah. Even if they have to go through 15 try-fails, the final one's going to make it. <laughs> Absolutely. Because that's, that's, really, that's really how we are. Yeah, yeah. 
Never say never. So in terms of the future of Scott Knoll on your writings, what do we have to look forward to? What's, what's in, your, in your short, medium, and long-range future? <laughs> well, I'm one of those people who always has enough to keep me busy. Um, if you look at my schedule for the day, and I look at my schedule and I fantasize that I might actually get it done, but it usually turns out to be several 12-hour days worth of, worth of activity. So... <laughs> So right now we have our, our, our web business, our, our day-to-day job to na- still navigate through this COVID downturn and Dreamforge to, you know, do the same. And uh, But I always want to be an evangelist for the idea that the human adventure is just beginning. I can see, you know, having having a couple novels possibly in me here, here to get out. And I'm working on one that we're actually going to uh, publish in Dreamforge next year that is called uh, Sovereign Ice. And it's... Um, uh, it's it's a big epic. It's about um, basically rebuilding the world after uh, a future ice age, and um, so it starts with a little bit of apocalypse, like like I said, and it, it works its way into how this new world is is going to unfold. But for me, it's all about fun. It's not about necessarily having a book on the shelf or or you know getting getting any fame out of it. It's it's just basically writing is one of the most hopeful things you can do because if you're if you're telling stories you're basically thinking of telling them to somebody um even if you have even if your writing audience is is you know three people or your your best friend or your wife or whatever i still think that that it's worthwhile because it's a it's a hopeful endeavor it's it's building and creating something okay well that's that's nice that's good I can understand about the 12-hour days and doesn't leave a whole lot of room for writing that next epic novel but what you see is a few days is a vacation man (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's in my schedule for a while i just you know the the standard publishing joke yeah i only work half days all right (laughs) yeah you can pick any any 12 hours you want any half day (laughs) exactly exactly so on this subject of of publishing in general what do you see as the future do you have any predict for like Print versus online versus the um, the short fiction, long fiction. Any particular thing that you see based upon the trend you you've experienced or coming out with Dreamforce because you publish short fiction. Um, was it up to novella length or novelette length or? Well, I think that that what I see just as having gotten into the industry a bit is uh, it used to be said in the old days that that if you were going to be a writer, you wanted to write for the magazines first, right? And then that's how you learned your craft, and then then you would try to sell to to publishers. And and kind of the way the world is now, I I tend to see people writing novellas and building their own audience. So it, you know, it's it's basically having your website, having your blog, whatever, however you're going to get out there, just just to your first audience and start writing those adventures and building your audience. And I, th- I think these days the tra- traditional publishers get more interested in you when you are able to, um, you know, actually show, look, I've, I've done this work and I've actually built an audience. And, and if you take me on, I'm going to bring my audience with me. So, so I think that's um, one way that things are going to go. Also, uh, if, if possible, I, I forgot of a major thing we should mention for next year. What's that? Well, next year, we're going to be cooperating with um, Uproar Books. They're a publisher uh, in, uh, in Tennessee, I believe, and uh, they're going to be publishing an anthology of science fiction and uh, fantasy stories by both Dreamforge 
and Space and Time magazine, which is which is another uh, small press magazine that we've been cooperating with. And so there's going to be uh, an anthology called Worlds of Light and Darkness that's going to come out next spring from Uproar Books. And um, it's going to include some of the best stories from, from these two magazines. Wow, that's very exciting. Yes, we, we've, we've been having fun doing it. And the publisher has been so um, uh, impressed by the progress so far that they ask us on the on the cover page to append, you know, say it's volume one. So, so I think they're thinking, wow, this might really work, and and hopefully we'll have more volumes to come. Oh wow, that'd be great. That gives you hours thirteen and fourteen of the day. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. And um, just to put in a, a plug for Space and Time magazine, that's published by Angela Eureka Smith. And Space and Time has been a, a semi-pro magazine. I think it's the longest continuously published semi-pro magazine there is since 1966. And um, she hasn't always been the, the publisher of it. She took over at about the same time that we were publishing Dreamforge, which is kind of, you know, these two publications that were just finding their footing when you think of it and, and a little bit lost. So, so we kind of hit it off and we were supportive of one another. And um, we've, come up with deals to make subscriptions to both magazines um, a little more uh, intriguing to people by basically saying, hey, if you subscribe to Dreamforge, you can get a digital subscription to Space and Time for free. And if you subscribe to Space and Time, you can get a digital subscription to Dreamforge for free. So, um, you know, we've been working on things like that. And then along comes up with our books and you have three small, you know, publishers trying to cooperate to do some cool things. Well, that's very nice. And that's, I think that's that's smart where there's a lot of talent out there and there's a lot of people that need to have the ability to get their, their voice heard and, and with what you're doing there makes that, you know, possible for the still for the uh, aspiring artists to uh to rise to the top and, and be noticed. So that's really, really that's really important, I think. Yep, and I think I think Writers of the Future really does that possibly better than anyone in that you're really looking for the quality stuff. You're like one of the differences I think between what we do and what you do is I'm kind of putting together an issue that has a theme and I'm trying to, you know, put a certain, you know, here's the long story. Here's the short story. I'm kind of putting a puzzle together. Uh -huh. And so a lot of, a lot of good stories come past me that I can't necessarily take on because I'm going to say, oh, but, you know, that one's a little too long. I already got my long story or, or you know, I don't want to have two stories that both involve brothers or, or whatever. But I'm, I'm kind of putting a puzzle piece together. So I don't always get to just pick the best ones. But, but I think you guys really have the ability to just find the best talent and, and, and bring it forth because you're not quite as constrained as like magazines are. That's, that's a good point. And you actually bring up two points there. One is, yes, with Writers of the Future, when Owen Hubbard created it, it was supposed to be that ability to provide a means for the aspiring writer and then five years later, aspiring artist for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. And it, it didn't really have a theme other than that forum for the best to rise to the top. And when Scott Card came out and had his, his magazine, which he stopped publishing last year, he said, he made this interesting comment that in actual fact, Writers of the Future gets all the best and we got what Writers of the Future didn't take. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, well, which is hilarious. I mean, he's, he's a, obviously he's a judge and he's very, very supportive of the program because of that, 
just amazing products that that it's that it's found and and established. Well, we've seen we've seen in in selecting stories for Dreamforge that um, we get many uh, submissions from writers of the future, either people we've published or who have got an honorable mention, that sort of thing. And we've at this point published like 13 people who've been associated with writers of the future, either either winners or you know uh, some level of, of honorable mention yeah. to that and, and here is as we look forward to the new year with what i want to do in terms of working with writers i find myself working with a you know writers of the future uh uh submitter so um, yeah, yeah you, you guys are, are a force in the field yeah and it's i mean we're up to a couple thousand entries a, a quarter now between both contests and it's i mean it's grown so much from when we first started back in uh the early 80s and with entries now from over 175 countries, it's, it's really become quite the, uh, the global communication of, of the future of science fiction and fantasy. And the art, I've been very excited about the art because this last year, maybe you noticed in the, in the book, we had um, an illustrator winner from, from Vietnam, and his art was totally different than the illustrator winner from Turkey, which is totally different than the illustrator winner from Iran. And then you have the stuff which, more, which people in America are more used to, but now it very much has this universal flavor. And we also, this last year, started publishing. If a story was a winner from England, then we used UK English, which is a bit different than Australian English, where we had two winners there, and definitely different than American English. So each, each story has the English against that uh, country where it came from, so we didn't edit it to make it all American English. It was kept in the countries that it is. So it's become even more and more um, international in its in yep. its scope, which is uh, I think is important too. Yes, I agree. Now you made a comment about the, you know, how you run into a great story, but you've already got your long story, or you've already got something in a certain theme, and this doesn't fit that theme. So even though it's really awesome, you can't take it. I think it's important for aspiring writers to really understand that because it's not because you have a bad story that it didn't sell. It really wasn't appropriate for the next issue or you just had a story like that. Can you explain that a bit more? Because it comes up routinely that someone automatically takes a reject meaning they're not good when that's not what it is all. Yeah, we, we actually even um, try to avoid using the term reject. We, we tell people we've returned their story and uh, when we can, we also, we ask them, would you like some comments on this? Because um, one of the things we found is not everybody wants comments. Not everyone takes any comment well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but so, so we've started getting into the mode of saying, would you like comments? And we'll get, we can't necessarily give them to you right now as we're returning your story. But once we get everything under control, we'll get back to you. But, but yes, there, um, people have to realize that when they submit stories, execution might be very unique but ideas aren't necessarily always unique and we could get in any one submission period we might get you know three time travel stories that are that are all very similar in terms of, of kind of what they're talking about or or you know two stories that involve brothers who are doing something you know against all odds or you know there are just similarities between the stories that it's like i can't take both of these because even if i space them out in issues somebody two issues down the road is going to say, but you just published one like this. Like, you know, didn't, didn't we see two brothers doing something last issue? Yeah. You know? So, so, um, and as, as you're going through the stories and you just try to figure out which one you're going to select. And, and I, I remember we had, uh, and I think it was in our first round of submissions. I got 
two stories that were essentially about women warriors who were like sisters in um, battle saving, saving a fantasy kind of environment. And one was written in a very Tolkien-esque universe. And one was written in uh, a universe that the, the author came right out of their imagination. It was, it was, it was, you know, their thing. And we made the decision that even though the one that, that felt a lot like standard Tolkien fantasy, it was actually a tad better written, but the, the other one, Basically, we appreciated the imagination of the author and coming up with a world wholesale, you know, out of their own head. And that's that's the one that we we went with. So um, there are there are decisions like that that, that we're making. And, and as I said, when I work with my team and, and we have people from around the world, from Australia and New Zealand and Germany and and um, you know, India looking at these stories. So we get a good mix of, of reviews and comments. We don't always agree on what the best story is. And um, in this last round, you know, one of my, my lead uh, first line readers telling me, I really love this story. You need to buy this story. And I'm looking at it and it's like, and it's a wonderful story, but it's a Greek mythology story about Icarus and Daedalus. And that has no place in this issue. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, there's nothing I can do with this. And, and, you know, he's getting back and saying, can I at least write the author and tell them what a wonderful job they did? And it's like, I'll write them too <laughs> and tell them they did a wonderful job. I just can't buy this, you know, right now. So, so, so those are the kinds of things. Having a story returned one is, is not a sign that, that you didn't necessarily do a good job or reach a certain level. It, there are a whole bunch of things that are, that are going on there in the, in the process and editors, if you submit a dozen stories to us, you know, that people might think sometimes they're bothering the editor. They're submitting all these works and it's like, I keep getting rejected time and time again. What they don't see is the editor and the team on the other side, basically, you know, lots of times saying, you know, this one's better. We need to keep an eye on this person and, and look, they improved this, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing goes on. And, you know, people should never self-reject. They shouldn't say, well, this isn't good enough. It's like, you know, well, we're gonna, we'll look at it. We, we we don't form bad feelings about people just because you keep submitting stories and we keep sending them back. It's like oftentimes we're rooting for you and hoping that you learn something and that if and if that story doesn't sell with us, that you find the right home for it. That's uh, interesting. You said that one of our most popular podcast interviews is called the Topanga Canyon story with Dean Wesley Smith, who mm -hmm. who um, tells a story in his creative writing class talks about this this author who's just, they just call him Topanga Canyon. And he had been submitting and, and he had been talking with other editors saying, okay, this guy here, he's he's coming along, he's coming along. And Topanga Canyon is a guy named Preston Dennett who, who won a few years ago. He had entered 47 times, but he'd been entering since the very beginning, even before you. And he, he quit at one point. He thought, I'll never make it. Nobody's interested. And it got to be a, a talk about at the at one of his workshops, uh, Dean Wesley Smith's workshops, yeah, there was this one guy just Topanga Canyon. He just all of a sudden he disappeared, and then um, when Preston was talking with someone, they said, you know, he listened to this one podcast, this one interview, says, yeah, you know, it's, well, at least it's you know, it's like I always tell the Topanga Canyon story, and he just went, what? <laughs> and then he then he he wrote to to Dean and found out that it was him. And he had just, 
he had he had just lost all confidence in himself. He re, he self rejected himself. But these editors were saying, "He's getting close. He's getting close. Who's going to be the first one that buys him?" And the editors were talking amongst themselves when magazines used to be much more plentiful. And uh, then he disappeared. And then he finally came back, and you know he ultimately won the contest. Then and has done quite well since. But it's a um, it's interesting. Self rejection is like the worst thing you can get into as an author because. You can assume it's your quality of your writing. It, it doesn't have to be that at all. It can just be also, it's what's right for that magazine, what's right for that current issue, you know. And and budgets play a role. Limited budgets. Um, yeah. Uh, things things for writers to realize is that lots of times those stories come in and we enjoy reading your story. Um, we just you know can't buy it because we only have so much money that we can spend on so many stories for so many issues. And, and then no matter how good it is, we, we just can't take it on. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and lots of the stories that they, they might not hit the level or, or fit the puzzle piece that we need at the time, but that doesn't mean we didn't enjoy them. Um, lots of times there, there are elements and, and themes and, and that sort of thing that we, we really did appreciate. And we, we think, you know, highly of, of that author for having tried that just, you know, getting published and, and, um, you know, isn't necessarily, um, isn't necessarily the sign of, of where you're at in, in your career, because, um, you know, you just need to keep getting that out to different magazines, realize that there are a limited number of, of magazines and a limited number of spaces, and you're in competition with thousands of other people. So you're not always, you're not always going to, you know, hit that mark easily or, or right off, but, but always keep trying and, and realize that uh, people may be enjoying your stories, even though they're editors who are sending them back. Well, good. That's, that's, that's good to know. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast are also going to be able to appreciate that and at least put that in there. So it's not, it's one less reason to self-reject, one less reason to say, oh, I'm no good. I'm going to, I'm going to quit when... It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what you've just been saying. Yep. So if somebody wants to be able to uh, reach out to you and just uh, uh, further this conversation or um, to, if they have any other questions, how do they reach you? Well, they can email me directly. I'll, I'll give you my direct email. It's Scott, S-C-O-T, just one T. So S-C-O-T and then a dot. Last name's Noel. It's N-O-E-L at dreamforgemagazine.com. And uh, they can just, just email me, and, and when I can, I, I will be glad to get back to them. That's great. And it's been great speaking with you, Scott. I'm, I'm really glad you gave me the time to be able to talk about this, because I think it's important. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk on these subjects. Yes. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Scott. You're most welcome. Thank you, John. Thank you.